Welcome to episode 15 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of the What When Wine Diet, Paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jinstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed, but with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. 
New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome. This is episode number 15 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hello. And Jen, would you like to hear my most recent fruit obsession? I would like to hear it. What fruit are you obsessed with now? Well, I'm still obsessed with pineapple, as per usual. But um, have you tried the cotton candy grapes? No. I've heard people talking about them. Are they great? They taste just like cotton candy. Wow. Literally. (laughs) And I haven't had cotton candy in... I I don't even remember the last time I had cotton candy since I've been paleo and life. And I've been low-carb for like eight years, maybe nine years. I don't even know. Um, you should try them though. They have them at, uh, like Whole Foods and Kroger and it's very, it's very surreal. Oh wow. Well, I'll have to try them. You eat the grape and then you feel like you're, it's like Willy Wonka, you know, when they eat the, (laughs) the, the gum and it tastes like a meal. (laughs) That's so funny. Now, have you ever frozen grapes and eaten them like that? Yes. Isn't that great? Yes. It's like, (laughs) Actually, I just had frozen. I, I had them frozen last Wonderful. night. Wonderful! I love to do that. It's like you're eating a, a frozen treat. I haven't done that in years. I'm gonna have to go get some cotton candy grapes and freeze them. They're so good. I freeze my pineapple too. I freeze watermelon. I freeze blueberries. Awesome. How about you? How's life? Well, we are leaving for our vacation tomorrow, so I'm very excited. We're gonna. We have to drive to Miami. Now that's gonna be a long, long drive. So. <laughs> But intermittent fasting helps with that. Well, I'm traveling with two frequent eaters, so it's good. <laughs> well, I'll be like, why are we stopping again? So, like, I guarantee as soon as we get on the road, they're going to want to stop and get, like, breakfast. And then, then they'll want lunch. And then <laughs> I'm going to just wait till we get to Florida and have a great meal for dinner because there's nothing on the way I need to eat. So, yeah. And then we get on the cruise ship the next day. We're going to spend one night um, outside of Miami before we, before we board. And I'm very excited. That's very exciting. So, yeah, so I'm, you know, we talked about this in another on another episode. I am not going to be following my typical one meal a day plan while on board the ship. Instead, I tend to eat probably two meals a day in more of an eight to ten hour window. So I'm still not waking up and going straight to the um, straight to the dining room <laughs> first thing, but I'm definitely more relaxed about what I eat over the cruise. And then when I get back home, it's easy to get right back on my intermittent fasting schedule, and it feels so good to do so. Yeah. No, I think that's – that's. I mean, intermittent fasting is just so amazing for vacations because you can still have – you can still have an awesome time, eat all the food with minimal, if any, weight gain. And then when you get back, you can jump right back into where you were. Some of the people in the um, Facebook groups have actually talked about going on vacation this summer, and they actually stick to the one-meal-a-day plan um, because they're still in weight-loss mode, and they don't want to, you know, put themselves back any as far as their progress. And people have actually reported coming back from vacation after following one-meal-a-day and weighing less than when they left. I was going to say, I think that's actually pretty common if you stick to it because yeah, because in addition to sticking to the plan – you do a lot of things that could encourage even more weight loss. Like a lot of times you're active on vacation if you're like hiking or biking or whatever. And then the sociability factor and the sunshine and just everything. I feel like it could be great for weight loss. <laughs> yeah. People people actually report that they can lose weight on uh, on a vacation if they stick to the one meal a day. But I'm not trying to lose weight right now. So I'm just going to try not to super gain weight. Right. <laughs> I'm exactly. just going to enjoy myself. <laughs> and 
I'll still, I mean, really what I'll be doing is still considered intermittent fasting compared to someone who follows a more typical dietary pattern, but it's just not as um, small of an eating window as I'm used to. And most days, as I said, I'll have two, two meals and, um, we are getting the alcohol package. So I'll oh, be yes. having, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I will be having wine and, um, Prosecco and a, a fruity drink by the pool if I want to. It's so, so much fun. It sounds fun. We'll have a blast. Thank you. All right. So shall we jump into our listener questions for today? Let's do it. Okie dokie. So our first question comes from Pamela and the subject is vegan and doing IF. And Pamela says, I'm vegan. So does doing IF mean I need to incorporate more fats from nuts and seeds? Seems like there's always a lot of talk about adding more butter or eating animal products. Thanks. Love your podcast. Well, I love that question, Pamela, and thank you. Um, Absolutely, you can do intermittent fasting and be a vegan. So you do not need to feel like you're being pressured to add, you know, animal products into your diet if you don't want to. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading about the Mediterranean diet recently, and, you know, they add a lot of healthy fats from olive oil. So you can get plenty of fat from sources that are, are um, vegetable in nature. Yes, nuts and seeds, as you mentioned, olive oil, absolutely. So do not feel like, you know, the only way you're going to get the fat that you need is by adding butter or animal products. So what do you think about that, Melanie? So I was going to say, first of all, you want to establish the energy versus nutrient side of the equation. Most people, I feel, either get the majority of their energy from a higher carb-based approach or a higher fat-based approach. I mean, some people do a blend of both, but most people tend to do one or the other. So as far as your particular vegan lifestyle goes, if you're the type that is running mostly on carbs, so you're doing, you know, a lot of fruit, a lot of sweet potatoes, I don't know if you're doing grains, but if you're going on the carb side of things, then honestly, the only reason you'd want, you would, in my opinion, need to add fats would be for like the minimal minimal amount needed for healthy membranes. And then the main one to look at is omega-3s because those are very, very important for healthy cell membranes. They're vital for balancing out the inflammatory aspect of omega-6 fats, which are very common in grains and seeds and nuts, actually. That's actually a slight problem or an issue to think about if you are vegan. So the form of omega-3s found in vegetarian sources like flaxseed, that is called ALA. And the body has to convert that into the form of EPA and DHA, which is the more bioavailable form for the body. And unfortunately, the conversion rate for that is very, very small. So studies estimate it's around 2 to 5%. So that is a reason that there could be some problems in a vegan diet as far as getting enough fats are concerned. It's not really a, um, a huge amount that you need, but you do need those healthy fats. So I would recommend for that. I mean, you can do the flaxseed, but like I said, the conversion rate isn't that efficient. Um, sea vegetables have some omega-3s in them and the EPA DHA form. So that's something you could turn to. Um, I mean, you're probably not open to like fish oil supplements as a vegan, but that is an option as well. But I would encourage you to look into that yourself and make sure you are getting enough omega-3s because that's really important for especially brain health. It's key for that. 
Um, so yeah, so basically don't stress about adding butter and animal products. Definitely do what works for you. And if you're feeling great, keep on keeping on. But I would pay attention to those specific types of fats that we need just for the health of our body in general. All right. Are we ready for our next question? Yes. Okay. This one is from Doug and the subject is recalibration break and it's a long one. So I'm going to read it. Doug says, Hi there, just started listening to your podcasts over the weekend and have enjoyed them. Wish there were more podcasts regarding IF. Well, we are so glad to be filling that need for you there, Doug. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he says, anyway, without going into too many details, I have been doing intermittent fasting for about six months or so, and I have been enjoying it. Um, I was in pretty good shape beforehand and was hoping to get a little leaner. I've been doing the 16-8 for the most part, and again, that is 16 hours fasted a day with an 8-hour eating window for the most part, seven days a week, but I'm less strict on the weekends. I do strength training three days a week in the morning in the fasted state and break the fast at lunchtime, so my eating window is essentially 12 to 8 p.m. I eat more carbs on the days that I strength train. I have added more cardio over the past few months because I have been training for a mountain climbing expedition, Denali, which sounds amazing. By the way, that's just me. Side note. But I actually think I was getting better results without the cardio. For the most part, I think I'm feeling like I've hit a stall period. I will probably eliminate the cardio after my trip. I am wondering if it makes sense to go back to more regular eating habits every once in a while when you hit a stall to reset your metabolism. I am confident that my calorie intake is right on. Based on your podcast, another thought occurred to me. I usually take branched-chain amino acids, BCAAs, on the three days that I do strength training, but over the last couple of months, I have started taking a lot more only because I was adding it to my water, and it allowed me to really increase my water intake. Um, Most of the additional BCAAs were ingested during and right after the eating window. Anyway, you suggested that adding something sweet, even if it's calorie-free, may induce release of insulin, so I will eliminate the additional BCAAs and see what happens. The basic question here is what to do when you hit a stall. My expedition to Denali will certainly be a major break from IF as we eat often and take in as many calories as we can when attempting high-altitude ascents. I am also wondering... Um, if doing the 16-8 five days a week is better than seven days a week so that there is a recalibration essentially every week and so the body never really gets accustomed to the same thing every day. Look forward to your response and I'm happy to answer any questions. I'm a 45-year-old male if that means anything to you. So what do you say, Melanie? Um, Well, first of all, I hope you had an amazing time on your trip, Doug. Welcome back. Okay, so all of the different things that you talk about. Um, I think it's interesting that you started getting better results without the cardio. I think that's a really intuitive, interesting thing that you picked up, picked up on. And I would encourage you to continue that route if you feel that certain exercise isn't working for you. Um, as far as the BCAAs go, so for people who are curious, those are branched chain amino acids. And those are basically very, they're the pure forms of amino acid um, proteins and a lot of exercisers and strength trainers take them to support muscle mass. A lot of bodybuilders and people who take BCAAs, they actually take them in the fasted state to support their muscle mass. But as Jen and I have talked about a lot on this podcast, um, taking in protein actually can stop the body, especially in the fasted state, from utilizing autophagy, which is where the body uses old proteins in the body 
for growth and repair and supports muscle mass. So I actually personally am of the opinion that taking BCAAs isn't necessary during intermittent fasting. Although you say you take it, and this is interesting, during and right after the eating window. And honestly, and this is just my opinion, I don't see any reason to take them after eating food. (laughs) Um, My opinion is that you should get your protein and your muscle support from whole foods. That's just my personal opinion. Um, I don't see any reason to take BCAAs, especially after eating. That just seems a little bit counterintuitive to me. Um, And then you said they taste sweet and you realize that that might be spiking your insulin and creating cravings. And I I do agree. I think you'll probably see benefits if you take that out. So I encourage you to continue on with that. And then as far as keeping your body guessing or resetting your metabolism or all of that stuff, um, I encourage people in general not to fixate on having to consciously keep their body guessing or having to consciously switch things up because I think that we should be intuitive and I think our bodies will let us know what they need and will naturally fluctuate in what we do. So I would encourage you rather than creating a specific protocol to reset your metabolism or to mix things up that you just eat more intuitively, like make your window maybe longer one day, shorter another day. And I think that actually can address the issue by itself. Um, Your trip was probably great for a stall breaker though, by the way. Like if you want one way to just really uh, mix things up, eating a ton and doing all that crazy ascent climbing, which is amazing. I applaud you for that. Um, that, That's like the perfect stall breaker right there. Um, I also do wonder, this is just a side note, you say that your calorie intake is right on and I don't really know what you mean by that. I'm not sure if you mean that you're taking in like isocaloric, like you're taking in exactly what you need or if you're taking in less or if you're taking in more. So I, I would want, I do wonder how that relates to everything. Yeah, I agree, especially what you just mentioned. You know, if you're, you know, counting calories and eating the same exact amount of calories every day, then that I would not recommend that because some days your body is going to need more energy. Some days your body will need less energy. So really, as Melanie already said, you want to try to eat in a more intuitive way following your body's needs. I agree with her that that we don't need to like purposefully schedule days to to go off plan. Um, I actually think that if you're doing 16-8, I would stick to that, you know, seven days a week. And occasionally you won't eat for a whole eight hours. You might only have a five-hour window, whereas, you know, let's say you have a special event on a, on a weekend, you might have a nine-hour window. But you didn't, like, say, today I'm just going off the plan. No, you, you let your window adjust to match your lifestyle, which is really, I think, the most important part of it. You don't have to think about what's my window today. You just live your life and keep it you know, within, within your, your normal time or to accommodate the, the special event that you have going on. Um, basically, if, if you find that you're doing 16-8 five days a week and kind of going off on the weekends, I, I actually think that probably could contribute to a stall more so than break a stall. That's just my opinion. Because if you're doing 16-8, you're having, you know, two meals a day, you, you may not quite need that much every single day. Just, you know, keep it more flexible from day to day instead of like regimented and planned. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Like as a final thought, um, it's interesting because with intermittent fasting to, to a newbie or a person who 
just sees it at the beginning, it can seem, oh, it's so regimented, like you're only eating between certain time periods and everything. But honestly, we're trying to encourage intuitive eating overall. Um, It's kind of the opposite of that in a way. As long as you're shortening your eating window, I think flexibility is key. We don't want to be neurotic about our fasting, I don't think. So just a final thought. Excellent point. Yeah. Alrighty, Um, I can go and read the next question. And this comes from Winnie. And the subject is your weight loss with IF. And Winnie says, hi guys, loving the podcast. Jen, I would love to know how much weight loss you can attribute to using IF. I asked because I know you said in your book you had actually lost many pounds using other diets before actually committing to IF all the time as a lifestyle. I was just interested in knowing how many pounds of your weight loss was lost using only IF as opposed to other diets. Thank you. Love you guys. All right. And that is actually a great question, Winnie, and I appreciate it because, you know, if you've read my book, Delay, Don't Deny, I have my whole entire diet saga in there and <laughs> everything that I've done over the years, and I've talked about it on on this show as well. And when I, when I reached, I mean, I, I tried intermittent fasting over the years, 2009 to 2014. I never could get past diet mindset and turn it into a lifestyle. So I would go on and off, on and off, on and off. And I continued to gain more weight until I got up to 210 pounds um, in 2014. And it was at that point that I, I went to a, a special diet, the HCG diet that I did through a clinic. And yeah, that's a very low calorie diet. So when I walked in there, you know, at 210 pounds in 2014, um, it was a diet that was supervised by a physician. And I did that for um, five weeks. So over a five week period, I did lose 25 pounds of the initial weight that I had to lose. But what's funny when you think about it, it actually was a type of intermittent fasting plan because... I skipped breakfast. You were encouraged to have coffee only. And then you had a very small meal at lunchtime. And then a, a few hours later, a very small meal for dinner. So ironically, even though I was paying a doctor's office to, to you know, to put me on this highly restrictive plan, I was eating within a five-hour window every single yeah, day. It's also so, like a Whole Foods plan too, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so if you follow um, alternate day fasting at all, in, in the alternate day fasting world, you have a 500-calorie limit, or if you do 5-2 or 4-3. So basically what I was doing at that time was like – Every day was a down day of alternate day fasting <laughs> or five two, but it was it was whole foods within a five hour window, and I lost like I said twenty five pounds. So even though I was doing, I would not recommend this. By the way, I would not recommend that you do, um, you know, five weeks of five hundred calorie days straight in a row. No, that that is not my recommendation. But remember, I was desperate, and I was trying to figure out something that could work. This this got my body, you know started on the weight loss track and I had tried HCG before and of course regained every bit of it. So this was like, I was trying one last time I felt like, but yes, I was intermittent fasting, even though I was doing it in a way I would not recommend now. So after that, I spent an entire summer because after you do the HCG diet, and this is back in 2014, you're supposed to do low carb to like set your losses. That's what they claim. And then eventually you start adding back um, carbs after that. So I did low carb the entire summer. And after those five weeks of the very restrictive plan that I do not recommend, by the way, I'm saying this, (laughs) you know, I I don't want anybody to think I'm misleading you about how I lost the weight. I'm very 
very transparent with it, and I put it all in my book. So um, <laughs> I did the um, – I was never going to go back to that restrictive 500 calories a day because I, it just felt wrong to me. And I was like, I'm never going back there. Never, never, never. I'm just going to eat low-carb forever and lose the weight that way. Well, I actually went full-on ketogenic, and I didn't lose another single pound um, that entire summer. Um, so I was like, well, this is not working for me, and I don't want to go back to um, – to the HCG diet. I don't want to go back to limiting myself to that few calories because I, I felt like it was the wrong thing. So then I picked back up with intermittent fasting in August of 2014. And that is when I added back carbs and started losing weight. So I was doing intermittent fasting in a five hour window at that point, officially with no food restrictions. And I started losing about a pound a week from that point on. So I did that from about August to October and that's when I ran across the other diet I don't recommend called the five-bite diet. And again, the five-bite diet is a 500-calorie-a-day diet, pretty much. And you have two small meals, one for lunch, one for dinner, and it's very restrictive. And I, I did that for about three weeks. And, of course, I lost weight quickly there, but um, I don't recommend it. It didn't feel right while I was doing it. It felt like too much restriction. Both times I moved to the lower-calorie phases, it didn't feel good for me or right. And it certainly didn't feel like anything I should be doing long term. So, you know, five weeks of HCG, then three weeks of this, um, this very restrictive five bite diet. And I lost some weight, but then right afterwards, I went straight back to intermittent fasting. And even when I was doing this, um, this five bite diet, I was still eating within a five hour window. Interestingly, though, um, I realized I felt better when I ate one meal only. So I kind of started moving to the one meal a day plan at that point. So I, I only did that, like I said, for about three weeks. And then I went back to um, intermittent fasting. And that was over November, December of 2014. And so I did all sorts of intermittent fasting patterns over those holidays. And um, I continued to lose very, very slowly. I didn't put on weight um, over Thanksgiving, over Christmas, but I was able to maintain the losses that I had previously. So then right after um, Christmas, right, I think it was like December 29th of, I don't know why that sticks in my head, of <laughs> 2014, I said, I'm going to do the five by diet again. <laughs> Remember, I was still, you know, learning. I hadn't read as much as I have now. So I did it one more time. This time, I think it was slightly shorter than three weeks. It didn't feel good at all. I lost a few more pounds, and then I was like, forget it. And I was completely done with that type of restrictive dieting pattern for the rest of my life, and I haven't gone back to it. So... When you add up, you know, all the weight that I lost, I lost over 80 pounds, and I've been maintaining it for over two years now. And I had, within that period, I had five weeks, and then about three weeks, and then about three weeks. So you can't say that it was mostly due to those crazy diets. And every single one of the crazy ones that I do not recommend was actually a type of intermittent fasting, because I never ate beyond a five-hour window in any of them. So... In a way, 100% of the weight I lost did come through intermittent fasting because I was never having a longer than a five-hour window, except when I was doing like the alternate day fasting, you know, trying that in between. But um, I don't recommend it. I do not recommend that anybody try these crazy diets because now that I know more about how my body works, I would not do it. I would not recommend going on 500 calories for five weeks or three weeks or even, you know, one week. So what do you think, Melanie? Do I sound like a lunatic? <laughs> oh, not at all. <laughs> I as well have in my book, The Saga, The Diet History, 
Cause it's just so crazy and there's just so many fad diets and things that I tried as well. Like I tried the HCG. I didn't do the clinic version. I did the drops, the sublingual drops that you take under your tongue. Um, but yeah, similar to you out of all the different fad diets I tried, including like the cookie diet and all the crazy stuff. Um, the ACG definitely, it does make you lose weight. Um, but it's, I mean, you're eating 500 calories from whole foods and like you said, basically an intermittent fasting window. So that's not sustainable and I don't think it's healthy No, um, at all. So we don't recommend that. No. And, <laughs> and really, I was desperate and, um, you know, when you're really desperate, I wish I could go back and talk to myself and say, look, just do intermittent fasting. <laughs> just, know, right? you know, and, but we're, we're so desperate. We're looking for something fast. And so I, I tried it. And I did lose weight fast for that short period of time, but I could have done a whole lot of damage to my body. Luckily, I don't have or I didn't have the willpower to keep doing it for like months and months and months. I know some people who did, and then they had a lot of trouble keeping it off. So I don't recommend it at all. Yeah, I can see that. Um, For me personally, I adopted low carb before I adopted intermittent fasting. And when I did that, that's when I started actually losing weight. I didn't feel like I was just oscillating between the same few pounds. Um, and then with intermittent fasting, that's where I, I think intermittent fasting for me definitely made me lose the majority of my weight. And it just, it's really great for tapping into those, those bits of stubborn fat. And even after you lose like the pounds that you want to lose and you hit your goal or whatever. And Jen, you've talked about this before, but intermittent fasting really just, it just taps into these little pieces of like these, all the little pieces of fat here and there, um, that your body just kind of hangs on to because your body doesn't really go to its last resorts until it's the last resort. And I think that intermittent fasting is a great healthy way to do that. So yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, that was, that was a great question. And thank you for asking because I don't want anybody to think that I'm you know, preaching one thing and then I did it some secret way, you know, (laughs) no, um, I want everyone to understand the way that I actually did lose the weight. And it it is a hundred percent through, you know, a short daily eating window, but just, I made some choices along the way that I no longer recommend. I was going to say quick last thing. I remember reading about the five by diet in your book, Jen. Yeah. And I had actually never heard of that. Like I thought I had heard of all the like diets. So you said, you said in the book, it's like where you only eat five bites, literally, right? You eat five bites. Yeah. It was actually, believe it or not, developed by a bariatric surgeon and um, he developed it as an alternative to weight loss surgery for people. They could actually eat like you had weight loss surgery. That's the whole premise of it. Oh. And he follows it himself, and he's very slim. And um, so, I, so you, I, I ran you across like it. Yeah, chew for like ever. I don't each know each of those bites. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds absolutely crazy now that I mention it, but it made sense at the time. You know, when you're desperate and yeah. you're like, oh. I'm going to eat just like I had weight loss surgery, except I'm not going to have the surgery. I mean, it, I, I would agree it does sound better than having the surgery. So I will I will give you that one because <laughs> wow. I did not have surgery, but I <laughs> ate like I did for about three weeks. And I just couldn't maintain it. Thank goodness my body said, stop doing that. It didn't feel right to me. And so I didn't do it long, you know, three weeks. And then I'm like, you know, looking at my cat and my cat's looking tasty. Not really. Yeah, oh gosh. But, <laughs> but, you know, and it, it just didn't feel right. And I started having – I think that's when you start realizing that your metabolism is in danger of shutting down, when you actually feel like, oh, my gosh, I need to eat. And mm-hmm. that that's how I felt, like that, that hunger of, like, 
I've got to eat now. So I knew it wasn't doing good things in my body. Even though the weight loss was faster, um, it's not worth it. Thank goodness I, I wasn't able to stick to it long term. And then my body said stop. Agreed. Yep. <laughs> All right. So we have um, one more question. And this is from mm-hmm. Marie. And the subject is IF and insulin resistance. And Marie says, in my experience and study, I've learned that because of how the foods we eat spike insulin, um, therefore causing a negative effect on the body, that it's just as important what we take in during the six to eight hour eating window as not eating during the intermittent fasting. Yet some people on Facebook intermittent fasting sites think they can do intermittent fasting and that allows them to eat anything they want the other time. What's with that? So what do you think, Melanie? So this is a great question, Marie, and it speaks to a huge misconception, I think, that has developed, in, especially in the intermittent fasting world. And so we have this idea that insulin is bad all the time, and that's not true. <laughs> if you don't have insulin, you're going to die, <laughs> honestly. Um, so you need insulin to assimilate the nutrients from your meal. So you actually do want to spike your insulin when you eat. I know that sounds crazy to some people, but um, that's how your body assimilates the nutrition and that's how you heal and grow and live your life. What you don't want is extended, an extended spike in insulin. So it is, yes, it's very, very important, the foods that you eat during the eating window. That's super key. And I think a lot of people do intermittent fasting and they think, Oh, they can eat whatever they want. And honestly, if you're switching from a standard American diet to, inter- to intermittent fasting, you are going to see great benefits, even if you don't change your diet. Um, but in the long run, you could be shooting yourself in the foot um, with the food choices that you make in your eating window. So like for me personally, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an advocate of whole foods, a paleo type lifestyle, um, just for health and not taking in inflammatory substances and such during the eating window. But back to the insulin, what you don't want to do is you don't want to be eating foods that are going to sustain your insulin release for a long period of time after you're eating or foods that create a reactive hypoglycemic state. So a lot of people will eat foods that spike their insulin and then their body they spike the, it spikes the insulin too much, and then the body responds by rapidly releasing insulin, removing the blood sugar from the bloodstream, and then you get hungry a little, like a little bit after your meal. So it creates this um, the situation where you have constant hunger even after eating, and that's where all the problems are coming in. If you're keeping insulin dysregulated from what you're eating. You definitely don't want to be eating just anything you want in the eating window. You want to find those foods that fill you up and then don't create hunger afterwards. Um, So foods that keep you full for a long time and foods that let you easily jump right back into the fasted state. So how about you, Jen? I think you, you answered that very well about insulin. And I did want to mention one thing that's so very interesting. Insulin is so misunderstood, you know, Mm. and have you heard of the insulin index? Yes, but I don't know what it is. It's so interesting. <laughs> they've they've done some some research on the foods that actually raise our insulin, and then how much they raise the insulin. Of course, everyone thinks, all right, well, we know what raises your insulin: sugar, or white bread, all that. But um, and of course, we're not talking about blood glucose here. People get those mixed up. I'm talking about raising insulin after you eat it. You know, we think you know, big carbohydrate load is going to raise your insulin the most, but 
just, you know, out of curiosity, Melanie, what would you just think would raise your insulin the most? Beef steak or a raisin? But now I'm like actually hardcore thinking. Well, yeah. I mean, my go-to thing would be like raisin. Right. But, I, I, but you're going to say But the way I asked the it. Pro- yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's from the protein. Exactly. Um, steak actually raised your raised their insulin. They have like a whole scale of numbers. It's fascinating to research. But these high-protein foods raise your insulin more than, than other foods like um, white pasta. I know this sounds insane. The steak raised your insulin more than the white pasta did after you ate it. So it's fascinating research. If you want to, um, anybody that's interested in looking up more about the insulin index, you can read it because we, it's so not what we think. Our bodies don't always respond in a way that, um, that we think they're going to respond. So that was just that about the insulin index. You know, everyone would always assume that, that the beefsteak would be your safer choice. Um, now as far as, as the second part of Marie's question, um, when she said that people on Facebook sites or IF sites think you can eat whatever you want and what's up with that. Basically, as Melanie said, if we're transitioning from a standard American diet and we're implementing intermittent fasting, then you're, you're making a change. You're making a huge change, in fact. You're going from eating breakfast, snacks, lunch, snacks, dinner, more snacks, to a short eating window. And it is a lot to ask people to make a huge change all at one time. So a lot of people start off with just implementing the eating window first. And I actually have a blog post about this. If you go to jenstevens.com, the title of this one is Eating, You Are in Charge. And I talk about what happens to most of us. And this happened to me. You know, when I started, um, as I just covered before, when I when I reintroduced carbs and started intermittent fasting, I was eating a bunch of junk. I went straight back to the standard American diet, and I was losing weight. Was that the best thing for my body? Of course not. You know, the more we learn about the standard American diet, the more we know that it is not health-promoting. But I was able to make the positive changes through intermittent fasting. And what we find usually is that most people over time start craving healthier foods. It has so happened to me. I did not set out to change my diet is what I'm eating. But I eat so differently than I used to and not because, you know, somebody told me I had to. And I talk about this in the blog post, but it is very, very common. People who start off with an eating window find that over time, the things they used to like no longer are appealing. Um, I remember, you know, my son wanted me to pick up um, a sub sandwich one day. And I, I used to like eating from that that sub restaurant. So I brought one home for dinner and I was like, this is fine. I like it. No, I was so sad and disappointed. (laughs) And so I think that might be the last time I had fast food because I was like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not wasting my eating window on this subpar food. So we call it becoming a food snob. Over time, you realize that real whole foods do have more appeal. And that's when you're listening to your body and you're learning that you're going to feel better when you eat it, like Melanie said. And, And you're making these choices not because you know, Jen told you to do it or Melanie told you to do it, but because your body feels better that way. And those are the most powerful choices of all. You know, I could say, here's a diet plan, follow this. But if you're following the diet plan I set forth, first of all, your body may need different foods than I'm going to tell you to eat. But second of all, you're doing something because I told you to do it. Let your body tell you what feels best for you. And that's just the best advice that I can give. I think that's great advice. 
I agree completely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you'd have told me that I'd be eating so many vegetables, I eat so many vegetables. And the other night we were going to go out to eat. It was um, my husband and I, my son was working. I couldn't think of a single place I wanted to go. So I cooked instead. And, and yeah. We, yeah. So I was like, no, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to cook <laughs> and I want to eat vegetables. So, well, yeah, I do. I, but I do love vegetables and I never did growing yeah, up. Never. Like, I never, never did. I would if they were like slathered in sauces and spices and right. like I had to like disguise them. And I would like for meat, I, it would have to be like super, yeah, super done up, right. super flavored. And now I'm like, I'm good with plain in yeah. all honesty. <laughs> you start to appreciate the flavor of real foods in a way you never did before. Like I can remember. I ate kale and I liked it. I was like, what? What? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like now I love arugula, for example. And before I was like, gross. So you'll find that over time, you know, it's best not to to judge whether people are eating really. And if you see people eating things, you know, like on Facebook, they post their meals. And you're going to see people posting things that you may be beyond in in where you are on your journey. And you would never consider eating that. Um, But they're not maybe where you are now. And so what we need to do is not judge how other people are, are, are you know, progressing. And, and they will probably find, like most of us do, that those peel, foods will start to lose their appeal. And look, even if they don't, with intermittent fasting, they're so much healthier than before when they were eating the standard American diet all day long. So it's, it's, yeah. it's steps towards health and wellness. And it's not like all or nothing, you know. That's, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great perspective to end on. Um, we're all doing the best we can right. in any given moment. And intermittent fasting is a great step in the journey. And people are definitely at different points on that journey. Um, but it's definitely a step in the right direction in any in any case. Absolutely. So, All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. If you have your own questions for the podcast, we would love to hear them. So two ways that you can do that. You can send an email to questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to our website, also ifpodcast.com, and you can submit questions online there. And at that website, we also have show notes for the episodes. So any studies that we talked about or any like products that we talked about that we personally use, we'll put links to all of that there as well. And then in addition, you can also go to iTunes and you can subscribe for our podcast and then that way you'll automatically get the podcast downloaded. You won't even have to go looking for it. It'll just happen automatically. Um, and <laughs> that's one of my favorite words. Yeah, I like and that. Then, um, <laughs> and then also, if you're on iTunes, if you're, if you're there anyway, uh, we'd love for you to write a review. Let us know what you think. That really is very helpful. We really appreciate it. So, yeah. Any thoughts from you, Jen? Have a wonderful time on your cruise. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear oh, yeah. all about it next week. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you, tell you all about it. All the food. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to eat. We're going to actually go to, to Mexico. And while I'm in Mexico, we're going to like this little private beach resort in Cozumel where we're going to eat Mexican food on the beach. I can't wait. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yay. Have fun. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. 
Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.